Welcome to What We Leave, a study of four faith legacies. In this five-session Bible study, we are looking at the faith legacy of Moses and asking ourselves, how can we let God build strong legacies of faith in our own lives as well? As with all of our studies, we'd love to walk alongside you and want you to know if you need prayer or just have questions, we'd be honored to connect with you. Please feel free to contact us at women at rpcstaff.org. Now get comfy, grab a pen and paper, and get ready to join our teacher, Chris Murphy, as she walks us through the faith legacy of Moses. There's people, I see people. (laughs) I see people. I'm sure there's people back behind the screen too. But guys, I have been... I have been locked down with one people and a whole bunch of dogs for like 19 days, no lie. Um, COVID's bad, but quarantine is worse, right? Like, whoa, I'm just so happy to see y'all. Try to compose myself. It's good to see you. Is it good to be here? It's good, right? It's good. Um, Last week, uh, last week I didn't get to be here, but boy, Lauren stepped in and did a killer job. Am I right? Like I even told her, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm cool. Just step it off. And she really tried to wring my neck, like through the phone. If she could have done it, she would have done it. Um, but I'm really happy to be back. I missed y'all so much. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Chris Murphy. Um, I'm the one who gets the gift of getting to walk through this faith legacy with you guys of Moses. Um, It's interesting, if you did our other legacy studies, we did two more um, previously, and it was Joshua and Peter, and we have one more that we're gonna hit, and it's gonna be in the book of Matthew. That's gonna be so cool. But here's what's what's interesting, and I think Lauren kind of said this a little bit last week. Um, The Moses story is where the whole idea came together. The whole idea of a legacy was all because God impressed upon me. I was like reading through, you know, light reading in Exodus. What? Who does that? I don't even know. It was like a devotional. I'm sure it wasn't on purpose. But there I was, and I was reading about this guy, Moses, you know, the burning bush guy. You remember my friend Jen in week one, I I quoted her and said, when I talked to her on the phone about it, she's like, oh, wait, he's the 10 commandments guy, the burning bush guy. I'm like, yeah, that's Moses. Well, that's kind of how I thought about him too, right? I mean, a father of the nation of Israel, we know that, but I didn't really, really know about his legacy. And, And that's when I started kind of getting interested in this life, man, like realizing um, that this life was a life of three parts, that it wasn't just like this tiny little story. It was like this monumental lifetime lived in three parts that just echoed so much of the things that we deal with and struggle with, right? And so I kind of fell in love with the idea of legacies because of Moses. And so this one is special to me. Um, And so I'm happy that you guys are here and taking this on with me. Um, I mentioned... I've been locked down for a while. We had a, we had, we've had a, we've, we've had a minute of, of the COVID thing in our house and, and you may have as well or other things that have hit your home, but I'll tell you what, um, it was, it was difficult because what I had planned was obviously not God's plan A, Amen. I had this plan. We had a schedule. This, um, we were going to start this study on a certain day, and I was going to be doing this part, and, and, and Lauren was going to do this part, and we all had a plan, and, and our plan was great, and we knew God had blessed it, and we just knew, you know, we were just so happy about it, but God had a different plan. And so I find it so crazy, not crazy, that this week, what we're studying, this part of um, Exodus, which we're going to be in Exodus 5, if you want to flip there, if you have your Bible, 
this part of Exodus, the story that came to the top for me is probably not the story that you thought I was gonna be teaching on. And I'll tell you why. It's because I felt like God was trying to tell me something about our plan A and his plan A. You know, Moses was the king of having plans, wasn't he? Like, we're going to see it over and over where he's like, okay, this is the plan, and then God's going to, like, change the plan, right? Well, God's plan A is always the best plan, and I think you're going to see that as well this week. Well, a couple things before we get into the text. I, I want to share some stuff, and I know Lauren kind of covered this, but I want to tell you from my point of view as the person who wrote the little workbook and, and put all the, um, the words on the paper, I want to encourage you in a couple ways. I don't know how homework went for you this week, and if it didn't go, okay, cool, you're here. Like that is, That's like rock star stuff, to just even be present, you know? Um, there's going to come weeks where you can't get to it. I get it. Uh, but I want to tell you this. Don't give up. Do you hear me? Just don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because I think the thing about these legacy studies, the thing that I've noticed is that God has something to say about who he is. And you know, we say this a lot in these Bible studies that this book is about who? It's about God. I mean, you're in it. You're, don't get me wrong, you're like there sometimes. But when we go and approach God's word looking for like, um, you know, quick life hacks, you know, for our own little selves in 2021, every time we're gonna miss the point of it. And that is to get to know the creator of the universe who loves you so much that he wants to have community with you, relationship with you. And so God's word is about him. And so I wanna encourage you, don't give up. If you hit some questions that are tough, what do we say? We just dwell there, don't we? Dwell on the I don't know, leave a big blank, put a question mark and move on. The other thing I wanna encourage you is that because we're gonna jump around a lot, okay? So like usually when we do a Bible study, I like hit one book of the Bible and we go like from word one to the word whatever, the end. These are different. And so we're gonna jump some. And so sometimes it might kind of be confusing or there might be something that's a little distracting. And so I would just encourage you to, to spend a little time with God before you open your, your Bible and say this. This is my eloquent prayer. Ready? You can totally use it. Ready? Hey God, I don't understand what was happening. I don't understand who this was for and I don't understand what you want to tell me. So will you tell me and will you show me? Amen. It's like that simple. Because a lot of times we get ahead of the context, right? We forget to look at what was actually happening and who it was actually written to. And we want to jump ahead to what does it say to Chris? When God's going, hey man, just be patient. Let me show you, let me unfold some things for you. And then I promise you it will not return void. Okay, so those are my two things. Remember that context is important. Keep, keep that focus. And then remember that God's word is about him ultimately, okay? And with the rest of it, we're just gonna have fun and see where he takes us. Um, legacies, Moses. I mentioned um, last week, Lauren, gosh, she did a great job. I was, I was watching from my little sick couch with all my dogs and I was just like, yeah, she was killing it. She's amazing. She brought up some amazing pieces of history that I didn't really even realize. Did you realize that Moses had such a legacy of women that prepared him, that saved him essentially? It was such a cool thing to see, right? To see that happen. Well, she, she mentioned a quote and I wanted to reiterate it again to you because for me, as I was preparing for this, this quote was kind of like the whole, like the, like the giant big 30,000 foot view of Moses's legacy. 
And it was by D.L. Moody, and he's a really smart old Bible guy, okay? So what he says is usually pretty great. And he said this about Moses, which is what opened my eyes to the idea of studying his legacy. He said this, that Moses, he spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody, right? He spent the next 40 years learning that he was nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Anybody love that? I mean, that's hope, right? Well, today we're gonna look at the nobody years. We're gonna look at an 80-ish year old shepherd hearing a word from God in the middle of nowhere and, and what that in turn is gonna do for the people of God. Uh, what we're gonna do, like I mentioned, we're gonna spend most of our time in Exodus five and a little bit in Exodus six, but I'm gonna give you a little, I'm gonna refresh you so you remember what was happening. But what I want you to focus on, and you can write this down if you want, is we're gonna look at this, this idea that, that obedience doesn't equal easy. Obedience doesn't equal easy. And we're going to look at that in three parts. We're going to look at, at the request that Moses makes to Pharaoh. We're going to look at the result, what comes of it. And it was gross and ugly, and it's going to be so fun to look at. And then we're going to get to the good part. We're going to look at God's response to Moses, God's response in the midst of all of these requests. So that's where we're going to be. So like I mentioned, if you've got your Bible, open it up to Exodus 5. I'm going to give you like the fast, like five minute recap. So you remember where we're coming, where we're coming from right now, starting at Exodus five. If you did your homework, you're going to, this is going to be familiar. If you didn't, I just want to get you on the same page because like we talked about before, context is so important to understand what we're studying. So how did we get here? How did we get to Exodus five? Okay. Ready? 40 years, 40 years. We have baby Moses being groomed to take over the most powerful position, arguably, in the ancient world. We think, most scholars believe, that he was probably being groomed to be the next pharaoh. Okay, So if that puts your mind in perspective about what kind of training and what kind of teaching and what kind of life opulence you know, that he was living, 40 years of that. Then at about 40-ish, we see that little debacle right, where he ends up trying to break up a fight and, and ends up killing a, uh, an Egyptian slave master. And, and, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Have you had those moments? You know, those, those places in life where you think, okay, this is the way it's gonna be. This is, we're trucking, we're going. And then everything flips. Well, when that happens, we see, we do, we can understand this about Moses. He's a compassionate guy with sincere motives, right? Can we agree on that? Like, I think he really, really felt like, I think God is gonna use me and I'm gonna lead the people. And so I'm gonna do this thing. Well, he was impetuous in his actions. And so he ends up where? in the wilderness for 40 years. Did you see that coming? Like, I didn't really see that. I don't think I ever really realized we were like at 40, we're reinventing. And not only are we reinventing, you're no longer gonna be like a king. Now you're gonna go live in the middle of nowhere and start over. That's where he is. So he had to learn that deliverance would not come because of Moses's hands, but it's gonna come because of God's hands and it's gonna come in God's timing. So 40 years, he's doing this one life. He's the somebody, 40 years now, he's a nobody. 
So he ends up as a shepherd in this place called Midian, which we're explained, it's explained to us as a wilderness, like barren area. Okay, and so what's, what's interesting to me is I was thinking on this, I was like, okay, so a shepherd. So he was a humble servant. He was a dedicated family man. We learned he's got a wife and a couple kids now. He, he's dedicated to his father-in-law. He probably works really hard. He's probably in a lot of solitude, would you say? Shepherds out in the middle of the pasture. I just kept thinking to myself, um, what is God doing? You know, put yourself in his like sandals and think for a second, like there was a lot of waiting and a lot of working, but yet God was planning and preparing and readying, wasn't he? And Moses had no clue. Well, 40 years, he's doing the shepherd thing. So now we're at about 80-ish years old. And then what happens in Exodus 3, do you remember? There's like a tumbleweed and it starts on fire, okay? <laughs> what in the world? I'm sorry. Okay, so I had a great conversation with a friend of mine the other day. She's like, okay, come on, seriously, let's talk. Was it really, was it really a bush burning? Was there really a voice coming out of it? Here's, here's the thing. Here's what I think. Uh, this is what I, I know. I know that God's word is true. Um, could there have been a tumbleweed laying on the ground and it, it, it catch on fire and not be consumed and God speak in his big God voice? Could he do that? Yeah, guys, he's God. He could do anything. And, and you know, something not, not being, not goofing with you, but being serious here. Think about this for a minute. When you read things that happened, like a narrative that happened in the Old Testament, you gotta remember, you can't apply it to how you're living your life now. You know why? Because you walk around with a big old Bible, and, and a Bible in your phone, and you got them everywhere, right? Like God's word, you have access to it. So we have his voice right here at the time. This is how God got his people's attention, man. And so is, is there a possibility that, that that burning bush was God speaking audibly? Well, yeah, I believe that it was. And so what we think it is, we think it was this, um, they call it an acacia bush. So it's this real um, insignificant, common, thorny kind of thing. Like it's not a big deal. The big deal was that it was on fire and it was not being consumed. Do you love that God uses, I mean, mark this down, okay? So when you see flame or fire being referenced when it comes to God, I want you to remember something. It always, always represents divine power, always. You see, you're gonna see in, in chapter 13, you're gonna see God's divine power when he leads his people through a flame. In chapter 19, you're gonna see it. Chapter 24, in Deuteronomy, in Judges, in Hebrews, over and over and over, God uses a flame. And I love the idea of that because a flame refines, doesn't it? But in this minute, in this little minute, there's like this tumbleweed and it's not burning up. And so... One of the most pivotal moments in human history is happening in this mundane setting, right? And then all of a sudden, God's gonna take this natural thing like, like a, a bush and he's gonna do the most crazy, insane, supernatural thing to get Moses' attention. But don't miss it. You know that God is so intentional that way. Well, Moses listens. Would you listen? I would listen, Right? Well, the burning bush thing, it kind of, it broke down kind of in three ways to me. First, Moses saw it, obviously, because he's, he's fixated on the fact that it's not being consumed. Seems weird. It seems insignificant, but the flame is not consuming it. Then Moses heard, do you remember what he heard? Heard his name. I love when God gets personal like that. When he says, Moses, Moses. 
It's like he's saying, hey man, I chose you. There's a lot of shepherds, probably all spread out all over the place, who knows? But in that moment, it was God and Moses. So Moses heard God speak to him. And then the last thing, and this kind of, this, this is where I really relate to Moses, where I'm kind of like, yeah, Moses, he's us. Because you know what Moses did? He did something. You know what he did? Do you remember what he did? He starts arguing with God. Hmm, bush is on fire. God's talking. You're gonna argue. You know, to me, like Chris standing here on the other side of the New Testament, I'm like, Moses, oh my gosh, you're so not faithful, Right? And it's like God going, hey, hey, you, that's you, that's me, that's you, that's us. Moses starts arguing with God. Moses starts saying, you know, uh, um, I'm a nobody. Anybody ever felt that way? I'm a nobody. I, I don't even know your name. I don't even know how to explain you to anybody, God. How could you possibly use me? I can't say things well. They won't believe me. I can't speak eloquently, which... Pause in Acts 7, verses 20, verse 22, we learn that when he was actually in Egypt, he was considered mighty in word. So what happened to Moses? What happened? I mean, do you think, like I, I think, do you think the wilderness silenced him? Do you think it broke him? I, I don't know, like I, I, I feel ridiculous comparing my COVID wilderness to uh, obviously Moses' wilderness, but I will tell you, isolation can, can break you, Right? There's things that can happen in your mind that you start rethinking and you start going, gosh, you know, am I who God says I am or am I who I feel like I am right now? Am I trusting what I know or am I trusting what I feel? And so I think about our Moses and I'm like, oh, I get it. He thought someone else would be better. Meanwhile, God chose him all along and said, Moses, Moses. Well, 40 years ago, he felt adequate. Now, pride had gotten in the way. Remember this, like when Moses is saying like, oh, I'm not good enough, don't, this is, okay, this is a lesson for all of us. We cannot confuse this moment with humility because this is not humility, this is pride. Because pride is telling Moses, pride is the thing that he's trusting. He's saying, I'm not good enough, I can't do these things. Meanwhile, humility would be, I'm not good enough, I can't do these things, but God, right? I trust you. And in this moment, he's just basically arguing his way out of the thing. Well, he saw, he heard, he did. The bush was burning. Well, then God follows it up with like chapter two and you you can go back and look at it if you don't remember. He follows it up with like a whole bunch of promises, which don't we love that about our God? He, he, He knows, he hears, he listens to Moses spewing all of these negative, prideful comments about why he is not equipped for this. Meanwhile, God's already told him, I'm gonna use you. And so God goes into this this moment, ready? I've seen my people's afflictions. I've heard their cries. I know they're suffering. I've come to deliver them. I keep my promises and I'm sending you. I'm sending you, the complainer, standing in the middle of the wilderness, God then goes into this whole deal where Moses, he, he, he heard Moses and all his complaints. And so what did God do? Do you remember what he did? Like in chapter three and four, do you remember what he did? He provided, didn't he? When, when Moses talks about how I, I, can't, I can't talk good, what does he do? He reunites him with his brother. Aaron steps in and he's like, okay, I got you. I got that. Okay, next. 
Well, they don't know who you are. They don't know your name. I don't know what to say. And then he goes into one of, if not the most beautiful um, moments in scripture where God is defining who he is and giving his own personal name to Moses. Can you even imagine? And then the last thing he does is he provides him with all these wacky, weird signs and stuff. Do you remember that? Like the the, the um, throw the thing on the ground and the snake and then the, the, uh, the leprosy, which was all like real super weird, but whatever, God's God, he can do what he wants. But he had purpose in all of that. His purpose was to meet the needs of Moses so Moses could understand, hey man, yeah, you can't do it, but I can do it. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you ever been in this place where you are so crazy overwhelmed with inadequacies where you feel completely alone and completely lost. And meanwhile, you know full well, God is speaking to you, maybe not out of a burning bush, but he's talking to you. And then you just keep making excuses. I feel like we do it all the time. And I feel like Moses is showing us his life, his legacy is gonna show us that in spite of our insecurities, God can use us anyway. He can use us anyway. So Moses our precious darling little Moses. So that's how we got here. That's how we get to chapter five and six. Now, if you remember chapter five is that well-known story that we all tell our children, right? And you paint on your nursery walls about making bricks without straw. You're like, what? I'm sorry, no, I've never even paid attention to that in my life. Yeah, same, me neither. So what better day than to sit right now and to talk about it? I, I, I was overwhelmed by this story. Like there was a million things we could talk about and we could really focus in on, but there's just something about this one. And I don't know if it just related to me because of where I am right now, but I just felt like we needed to talk about this. I, I, if you'll remember what's happening at this point, if you look back, just like look up just like one verse. So in Exodus four, verse 31, okay, here's what, here's what we hear right before we get into chapter five. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Do you wish we could close the book? And that was the end of the story. It ain't the end of the story. It's about to get nasty. In fact, what's about to happen is even in spite of all the things God is doing, will do with Moses and Aaron, they're going to doubt they're going to doubt what God's saying. And the people are going to, I mean, it's going to take two seconds and they're going to turn. So this is where we stand. And then all of a sudden, okay, so they're all kumbaya. Everybody's happy. This is going to be good. Moses is our savior. And then chapter five starts. What we see in chapter five is what I mentioned before. There's going to be a request and there's going to be a result. And then there's going to be a response from God. And we're going to focus on that response before we finish up. Okay. The request first. Chapter five, verses one through five. I'm gonna read it and remind you in case you slept like a minute until, you know, since you've been here. And, and then that way we can talk about it a little bit. So verse one, chapter five goes like this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. And remember, they're doing what God said. God told them, this is what you're gonna do. He laid it out in detail in the chapters before. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Verse three, then they said, the God of the Hebrews, I'm gonna pause. Anytime you, this, nobody told me this when I started studying the Bible. So you're welcome. I'm doing it for you. 
Hebrews, Israelites, Israel, God's people, all the same people. Could we just use one word? I mean, seriously, but I get confused. So I'm just telling you that. So when you see Hebrews, we're still talking about the Israelites. Okay. God's people. All right. Unpause. So back to verse three. Sorry. I got away from myself there. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met us and please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness so we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Verse four, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Verse five, and Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. Listen, he was asking for a seven-day vacation for these people. Okay, three, three days out, worship, do the thing, sacrifice, praise God, three days back, okay? Here's what's crazy. Moses greets, I mean, excuse me, Pharaoh greets this request with what? A question that says, why would I obey the Lord? It's not my God. I don't care about this God. You know, at the time, there were so many little G gods that were in this culture. And so for him, he's just like, I don't know who these Hebrews God is, but he's not my God. So he says, no way. Something interesting that you're gonna see here, it actually started in chapter four, but you're gonna see it all the way throughout, okay? Is from chapter four through say about chapter 14, you're gonna see the returns, the, the, excuse me, the term that there's a hardening of Pharaoh's heart over and over and over and over, you're gonna see it for 10 chapters. God's gonna harden his heart, then he's gonna harden his heart. All of these things, okay, and you're gonna cover it a little more in your homework, so don't get hung up on it, but just look for it, okay? Because what we have to know is God doesn't care about, about, about anything about what's on the outside because he knows the inside. God knows the heart, right? Well, we see this establishment that Pharaoh's heart's gonna be hardened. And then here's the important thing. If Pharaoh were to have said yes in this moment, just so that you know, this would be, um, it would be so messed up because Pharaoh would basically be acknowledging that this deity that they're worshiping is greater than he is and he is not gonna do that, okay? So obviously the request is gonna be denied. Well, the result of the request we go in and it's kind of a, it's, it's like a threefold thing. And I'm not gonna read all of it for sake of time, but I want you to know that in verses um, six through 19, we see where Pharaoh goes into this whole thing. And you remember what he's gonna do to the people? He's gonna create epic suffering. I mean, it's bad enough, right? That they're slaves. It's bad enough that they're mistreated. But now what's gonna happen is he's gonna take people that were already in bondage, people that were already slaves, people that were already oppressed socially, politically, economically, they just went way worse. Because what he's gonna do now is he's gonna add to their jobs. Did you see that? That's the whole strawless brick thing. It's like when those bricks were being made, when you look back at this time frame, all of the architecture, all of the work that was being done by these slaves is, is done with these bricks, okay? And everything, everywhere you look. And so it is a constant, ongoing insanely exhausting job. And now Pharaoh has said, oh yeah, you want a break? I'm going to double your work. Now you got to go out and get the straw that is needed to build the bricks. And so we go into this whole big thing. We see that there's all this additional suffering for the people, suffering for the people that are in charge of the slaves. But then we see the people start questioning, don't we? 
So remember, remember in, in, in chapter four, verse 31, remember how they were all happy singing Kumbaya around the campfire, but I was so happy. Well, now they're like, what are you doing to us? I can't even imagine how that felt. In verse 20, God's people say this. They met Moses and Aaron and they were waiting for them and they came out from Pharaoh as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us the stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see, a minute ago they believed, but now things are getting really hard to understand and they're done. So the result, you've got suffering that comes to the people. Then you got the people questioning. And then the most disheartening part of this whole story, aren't you glad you came tonight, is Moses starts questioning. Do you remember that? Moses starts questioning. Listen closely. Listen closely only because I hear our voices. I hear us. Verse 22, Moses. These are Moses' words. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people and you have not delivered your people at all. Did you just wanna back up for a minute and just be like, lightning shall be striking because what in the world is Moses saying to God? I wanna correct your thinking for a minute. I wanna, I wanna reframe that because you know what's beautiful? You know why this might possibly be my favorite passage in the whole thing? It's because I relate to this. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know where you are. I don't know if, 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 if you've encountered, you know, 19, 20 days of, of, of quarantine and, and you're just sad and broken. I don't know if you have a broken marriage, broken relationships, if you're enduring, you know, diagnosis. I don't know what your story is, but I guarantee we can all relate to those moments where we want to look at God and scream at him and say, why did you do this to me? Right? Why did you do this to me? He goes to God, though, with his questions and his doubts. Do you see that? There's a huge difference, I believe, I believe, in understanding that we have a God that loves us so deeply that he wants to hear every word, every tear, every word, even the really yucky ones, right? So I love that our Moses trusts God enough this early in his legacy at 80, to trust God with the most broken, most angry, most upset feelings he's got about the current situation. He trusts God. You know, even Jesus cried out to God on the cross. You've heard that, you know that. Matthew 27, 46, the savior of the universe comes to earth, can save him because he is fully God and instead is hanging on a cross and asking God why he's being forsaken even our savior, okay? So if you leave here with nothing else, will you understand that you have a God that loves you so much, nothing you can say or don't say or do or don't do is going to change how much he loves you. It didn't change how much he loved Moses. And you know what? This is where the story gets good. And so Moses comes to God and he has questions and he has doubts. And then I believe, I believe that this might be a turning point for him where he is learning 
that while God had this great burning bush, you know, revelation of what's coming, you're gonna rescue your people, it's gonna be so cool. I think, I think in this moment, we see Moses understanding that opposition is a certainty in God's plan. Opposition is a certainty. If anybody ever tells you, this is just a little aside, a little bonus material. If anybody ever says to you, hey, you should be a Christian. You should be a Jesus follower. You know why? Because good stuff is coming your way if you do that. You know why? Because God's gonna make sure that you're rewarded beyond everyone else. Because I will tell you, that is a lie. It doesn't say that in here. Here's the good stuff that you get. You get a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The only way we can get to our God. And we can have hope and we can have purpose in this life and beyond. That's what we get. There is no promise that we're not gonna endure. No promises that say that. But instead, we're gonna have a God that equips us and a God that can handle it when we cannot. Amen? Well, I heard this Elizabeth Elliot quote. If you know who she is, she is a, a, was an amazing missionary. In fact, her husband was a missionary um, before, I guess she would probably be classified as a missionary. And he died um, telling people in these remote um, villages and tribes about Jesus. Then she then carried the torch, you know, and, and took her children and went right back and told these people about Jesus. So like she lived this amazing life of putting it on the line for Jesus, Okay. And I read this cool quote about how she was sitting down with a bunch of new missionaries. So these young, like, we want to tell everybody about Jesus. We're so excited, you know, and they're sitting down and, and they're asking her opinion of what she would tell them. And I thought this was so fitting for where we are. Elizabeth Elliot responding to these young missionaries. She said, I tell these earnest kids that the will of God is always different from what they expect that it's always bigger and ultimately infinitely more glorious than their wildest imaginings. But there will be deaths to die. But there will be deaths to die. I feel like that's where we are with Moses, right? Like God's told him, he's told him and God don't lie. Okay, you can quote me on that. God don't lie. He's a promise keeper and he has said, I am gonna use you to deliver my people. He didn't explain how, he didn't explain when, he didn't explain what it was gonna look like or how comfortable or uncomfortable it was gonna be. He said, it's going to happen. But there will be deaths to die. And that's where Moses is. So the result is that you have suffering the result was that you have people questioning now because of the suffering. And then we've got Moses, our leader, questioning because of the suffering. Well, it's good news because God then says, everybody, you know, stand back, hold my Coke. I'm going to respond. Okay. In chapter six, God responds directly to Moses and it is amazing and beautiful. And we could go on and on and on, but I'm just gonna read the first couple of verses and we're gonna look at some of the high points of what his promises were, his direct response in, in regards to what Moses and the people had just said. In verses one through eight, we see three different responses that God's gonna give. And, and I, I hope as you hear these responses, listen to them in the context of what's happening. But remember that these are promises that we take with us, okay? The first promise is this in verse one, that God is in control, that God is in control. He says it himself with his own God voice. He says he is in control. Verse one says this, but the Lord said to Moses, 
Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. When he's talking about, he will send him out and he will have a strong hand. That is God. That is all God. Okay. He's the one in control. He's the one that has the power. And so he is saying it will happen, but it's on my terms and it's not on your terms. How many times is he saying that to us? How many times are we, Moses, questioning, questioning, and then we turn around and leave? Because we're like, you know what? This didn't really pan out the way I wanted it to. This last couple weeks has been rough for our family. It's been hard. You know, it's, there's been some stuff and and my illness was a part of it, but we've been kind of going through some stuff and you know, we all have these seasons, right? Where things are difficult. And I have two kids that are off at college and they are thriving. You know, I mean, it's like every day I'm like, send me a picture of how happy you are. Like, I'm just so happy, you know, but it's hard when things are hard and they're not, you know, you don't have your, your everybody in the nest. Right. And so, um, this, this last week, my daughter who's at Arkansas, she's a freshman there and she's doing great, loving it. She, she's a feeler, you know, like if, if you listen to the Enneagram, which, you know, it's just a personality test, but she's an Enneagram four. So like, she is just like feels like deep feels. Like if you want to sit and talk with her, she's like, let's go super deep. You know, it's so cool to have her, but she also breaks, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And so she called my husband and I heard him talking when I was in the other room, hacking and coughing. And, and she just said, you know, I'm worried about mom. I, I'm worried. I don't like not being there. And I heard my husband say this and don't tell him, I told y'all that he's really wise because he's really wise, but don't tell him. But he said this to my daughter and he hung up the phone and I'm like, what in the world? Where did you get that? Like, that was brilliant. But he said to her, he said, hey, Maya, I want to tell you something. I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to take a piece of paper. I want you to take your journal or whatever. I want you to write like a T, you know, like two columns. And he said, in this column, I want you to write things Maya controls. And then in the other column, he said, I want you to write things Maya doesn't control. And he said, when you start worrying and going to that place, right, where you're letting your feels and you're letting the world tell you, oh, you should be scared and you should be worried and you should be whatever. I want you to write down the things that you have control over. And then I want you to go over on this side and I want you to just write all the stuff that you don't. And then I want you to remember this that God has control of both columns, amen? And that he's in them, he's in both columns. I heard him say that and I thought, wow, I needed that. You know, I didn't tell him that, we're not gonna tell him that, but I needed to hear that myself. You know, cause we get, I think we get really hung up on the other column, amen? We get hung up on the column that we cannot control, but rather we should be focusing on what we can control. One of my favorite quotes is an Oswald Chambers quote, and our pastor here, Ron Holton, quotes it often. In fact, um, it came right to me when I thought about the two columns. It's from Oswald Chambers, and he says this. He said this, do all that you honestly and ethically can and trust the rest to God. Do all that you honestly and ethically can and trust the rest to God. In this moment, God is saying, Moses, I'm in control of this. I don't need you. You got your column. I got my column. Amen. And so the first promise, the first response is that God is in control. The second comes in verses two through five. And it's that God remembers and God keeps promises. God remembers and he keeps promises. 
two through five go like this. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners, verse five. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. Guys, God remembers and he keeps promises. Remember this, remember this. When you see the word remember in relation to God in his word, when it says God remembers something, he didn't like forget, okay? He didn't forget and was like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. All that means is he's about to take action. How cool is that? When it says God remembers something, that means something is about to happen. Everybody stand back. And so God says, remember. You know, God remembers even when Moses and Aaron forgot. Do you remember what happened a few chapters before when God provides all the signs and wonders, when God provides Aaron to him, when God gives this big speech about how he is the I am, they forgot already, but God never does. And the third thing I would say that God wants us to understand in his response to Moses that we can take with us, third, is in verses six through eight, God hears and he saves. God hears and he saves. Verse six through eight goes like this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am your Lord. I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke this to the people of Israel. Guys, even when they didn't listen God heard them, amen? Even when they did, they missed all the things that we just read in the chapter. They're all mad because they're not getting their way. And God says, I hear you and I save you. You know, there's no ifs, if then kind of equations in God's economy. And this is a perfect example. It's not like um, if you say something a certain way, then God is gonna love you. If you don't say something, then God, if you don't do or you do or you say or you don't say or you feel or you don't feel. See, God doesn't operate like that. You don't have that much control over him. Somebody told me that the other day. I'm like, whoa, that's creepy. Like the more I believe the false doctrine of Chris has to do X, Y, Z or not do X, Y, Z so that God will like her more, that's wrong. And that's me saying I have control over the God of the universe and I do not. Because see, he loved me the same before I said or didn't say or did or didn't. Amen. You don't earn his love. He hears and he saves despite us. Well, Moses and his people will struggle. They will struggle to trust God. It seems like the story should end. It seems like we should all be like, yay, we believe you. It's gonna be so cool. Well, we're about to enter into war. We're entering into war with the most powerful nation in the ancient world. And there's gonna be plagues and it's gonna be gross and it's gonna be weird, but God is never gonna change through it all. 
He's teaching Moses about trusting. What is he teaching you about trusting? What is he teaching me about trusting? Obedience to God's call doesn't equal easy. Amen, anyone? Sometimes suffering comes. Sometimes our plan A was never actually the plan. And sometimes we ask, why me? And we don't get answers. But what we do get is we get an ability to fight with God's promises. Can I just remind you of one thing before we take off? That God is in control of your life. That God remembers and he keeps his promises to you right now, just like he did to Moses. And that he hears and he saves Opposition is just an opportunity, guys. I'm so thankful that you're on the journey with me. And we're gonna watch as Moses overcomes his doubt and overcomes the opposition to step into a legacy of trusting. And so I hope we do too. So will you pray with me? Um, Father, we just thank you for... uh, We just thank you that we get to spend this time in your word. I thank you as I read through this, I I try to put myself in this place where I don't have a Bible, where I don't have, you know, cool highlighters and like note taking and all this awesome opportunity I have to really dig into your word. I look at Moses and those people and I think, gosh, they just had to trust you and listen for you. And and so God, I wanna be better at listening for you. I wanna be better at trusting you. And I wanna not take for granted what you've given me. So Father, I I pray um, now for those of us that are gonna get together and discuss the homework and what we've covered, I pray that you will show yourself in a new way, that you will remind us that we are always looking to grow closer to you and to come to know you in a deeper way. And thank you so much, God, above all, for sending your son to this earth to reconcile what we couldn't reconcile. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen.